0: my message today is called Isaac is born. Isaac is born. We have an Isaac in our family. He's a great lad. And uh, Isaac means laughter. Isaac's a lot of fun too. Uh, But there's a reason why Sarah laughed in the stories of Abraham and Isaac and Sarah. Sarah laughed when the word came to her because the age and stage she was in her life. She didn't believe it was possible and I'll come to this right at the end, but I think there'll be people who hear this today and it'll kind of wash over them and it will seemingly be, well, that's interesting, Steve, but well, you know what, I'll just carry on with the ordinary things of life and you can have your hyper-spiritual dreams like Joseph. Uh, but I want to say to you, when God spoke to Abraham and Sarah, she laughed, but God still did it. The people laughed at Noah when he was building an ark until it rained. Sometimes the word of God is difficult to swallow, so just open your heart to God. Father, as I share what I believe you've shown me, I pray you speak by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Now forgive me for reading, I want to stay on track. So I'm gonna read this which prefixes my reading from Genesis 17. The book of Genesis is largely a presentation of God's plan to rescue and bless a rebellious world through Abraham's family. That's what it largely is, an attempt of God to bless and rescue a rebellious world through Abraham's family. The first 11 chapters, and that tends to be the divide, chapters one to 11, um, chapters 12 to 50-ish, we've got um, the rest of the story, Abraham's journey in towards the Exodus with Moses and the children of Israel. And in that divide, the first 11 chapters track the journey of the first humans who were made in the image of God. Already they've got significance, already they're important to God. They're told to rule in the world, to bring it under their submission and to make it fruitful. But of course, they fell from intimacy. We're fast forwarding through Genesis 1 to 11 with God in the garden. And here is the, here is the nub of everything that you're struggling with. When human beings fell, there was something injected into human being that it wasn't there before, and that is autonomy or self-rule. This desire of self-exaltation, actually, it's because God separated from man, man tries to fill the gap that only God can fill. And so this quest for self-exaltation culminates at chapter 11 at Babel with a tower that's really tall. Actually, if you read the story of Babel, it says, let us make a name for ourselves. Don't you see that in human experience now? You know, the Bible says in the last days, people will be lovers of themselves. It goes on to explain what else they will be like in their traits. But that is very much the generation we're in. That is nothing against Instagram, particularly It's the Instagram generation. Look, look, at, look how wonderful I am. Everyone look at me. And we've got sucked into it as the church, but we're actually being a bit lulled into a sleepiness by the situation we're in now. The world is in a place that the Bible describes as perilous times. The Bible says perilous times will come. These are perilous times. You don't need to be told that. And it all started in the garden with Adam and Eve's quest to be like God. The serpent says, you'll be like God, they will be self-rule, so they take the fruit, but the fruit that they took gave them fruit in their line. Cain kills his brother Abel, and then Cain builds a city in chapter 4, and then the city that he built produces Lamech. Now if you study Genesis 4, it's worth going away, that the city that Cain built became so broken that Lamech boasts about having multiple wives under his dominion and that he killed a lot more people than Cain. I think it says 77 times or 70 times 7 times what Cain killed. What I'm trying to show you is the fruit of Adam and Eve's failure was amplified through Cain and then it repeated through the generations after that, typified by Lamech, who's boasting about his killing spree and it says at the end of chapter 4 and it was at that point the people cried out to the Lord it's a really interesting scripture that I I just read chapter 4 the other day and I thought oh my goodness what a verse because at that point where humankind said oh this just doesn't feel right and you don't need to know Jesus to know things are just not right at the moment there's something in the human being that knows it's restless until it finds God and so the people cried out to God there'll be people crying out to God who don't don't yet know God God, if you're there, help me with this code. God, I'm scared. God, what's happening next? God, what about my family? God, what about my job? And, you know, it was at that point that the Lord had mercy on the world because chapter 5 through to 9, you've got the rise of Noah. And God sent a reset to wipe clean the canvas of a broken world. But the problem was that he did restart the world and he did rekindle hope for Noah's family and their, preced- their following generations but into chapter 11 after Noah, we're back where we were with Lamech, except with bells on. Because the default nature of human being is self-exaltation. People want a name, let's make a name for ourselves, they say in chapter 11 of Genesis. Let's be someone, let's get ahead. Maslow's triangle calls it self-actualization. I want to be someone, I want to be seen, I want to make my life count, I want to be in the spotlight. I saw it was the anniversary of Jim Elliott and, and Nate Saint and all those who were killed by the Ecuadorian Indians yesterday. They went in and had to do flybys to drop gifts on these savage Ecuadorians to kind of broker peace with them. And at the point that they felt that they could go in there, they went down amongst them and they were gored to death with spears. These were guys who were super professional. They would have been in the highest universities in America. They would have been engineers and other high level vocations and they laid their life down and of course that immortal line that we see in Jamilet's journal it's not a fill to give what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose in their 20s this is a radicalness that the church has lost because actually we've tried to build for now and god wants us to build for the city that's coming you read that in hebrews then it? it says that abraham was exalted as a man and honoured as a man because he was building for a city that was made by God. He was journeying through, he was just passing through. But Satan lies to the church and says, this is where you should build and plant vineyards. This is where you should be focused. This is all that's important. And that's why John's song had an anointing on the back of it, because it's Jesus who is important. And when we've lifted, lifted ourselves high, Jesus takes the background When we lift Jesus high he comes into the foreground and things change did you notice that Babel reached up I want to take you on a journey that shows you Babel reached up but Isaac dug down it's an opposite spirit and as this is a year of crossing over which I'll mention again at the end I want us to shift from that Babel church mindset to being an Isaac church I believe the Lord said to me at the end of last year Isaac is born. And I saw a vision in my mind of the baby in Sarah's arms. I said, What do you mean by that, Lord? Well, the Babel church is fallen. Isaac is born. The church that seeks to be someone, to market itself into popularity, to show what it can do, is exactly what's going wrong in the first chapters of Genesis. It's sin within the church. Anything that draws attention to itself over Jesus is self worship, and that's idolatry. It's what Satan did. It's what brought Satan's fault. It's proud, it's self interested, it's against design. And the Lord is saying to us, as we turn in 2022, this is a crossing over period, and some of us will survive it. I don't mean physically, mortality wise, I mean in spiritual terms, and some people will just not cross over, like Moses. I'm already preempting my ending. Like I mentioned last week, Numbers 20, Moses, in the glory of God, God's glory touched him, said to him, speak to the rock. The water flowed out of the rock when Moses hit it. He didn't do what God said. He got angry with his people and he hit the rock in temper. And God said, because you've not obeyed me, you will not cross over. Joshua and his generation will go into it. There'll be some people who try to operate by the strength of their own arm in this season. And it worked on a level. See, there's always fruit from preaching the Bible. There's always fruit from believing by faith, but God wants intimacy. This is what we were designed for. Jesus said, I only ever do what I see the Father doing. Can you believe that? I only ever do what I see the Father doing. How intimate is that? He is so close to his heavenly Father, that he's observant spiritually. He's what the Old Testament and New Testament idea of a prophetic seer. He's seeing what the Father's doing in every moment and he's not responding to the impulses and needs around him. A lot of people, pastors, leaders in this world, we are overwhelmed by the need and we're considered callous if we don't respond to it. Jesus would have been an unpopular pastor sometimes. Well, you should have gone and visited Lazarus, Jesus. Jesus. No, no, this is for the glory of God. He lived intimate with the Lord, and he modelled it for us to follow. Jesus said, the works that I did, you, you will do as well. So the Tower of Babel reached to the sky, pictures the consistent consequence of humans seeking to be like God. It's always against design to place people in the position that God alone can stand. Unfortunately, this is the heartbeat of sin which began in the garden. And the reason God, to sought, God sought to create a rescue plan to rescue us from our selfishness and to restore intimacy with God as a priority. I believe, and I write this and read it to you now, that God has shown that this is a reset season in the last few years, as traumatic as it's been. And it's allowed, and He's allowed it, otherwise He wouldn't be sovereign, to demolish the church's Babel mindset. Some people haven't yet got the memo and we're still bumping along until those that, that do take us across over into the promised land. Some people will be intimate with the Lord and will move things in this natural realm because they know the Lord. There's been a season of suffering and scattering and the church has been humbled. It's no longer feeling strong in fact, it feels weary and largely unproductive. It reminds me a little bit of Sarah and Abraham. Weary, unproductive, hoping for a better future, but trying to clamor its way out of where it's been. Do you see, even in Abraham's journey, there's a man who's flowing out of those first 11 chapters doing exactly the same thing. Even people of God, leaders of God, can do things by the strength of their own arm. I'm sure you know that. Abraham, what does he do? God's promised him to impact the nations as numerous as the stars of the sky, so will your descendants be as the sander on the seashore. So what does Abraham do? He sleeps with his his servant, Hagar, his wife's servant, and produces an Ishmael. Over church history, there has often been ishmaelministries.com. There's often been the marketing of, look what we can do, even if it's from good intentions. Where are the people on planet Earth that will rove the Earth like Jesus did, only willing to do what the Father's telling them to do? Where are the disciples that will be humble enough to drop off the grid like Jesus did? This is a challenge to me, I hope it's a challenge to you too. To prioritise his presence over and above productivity and ministry. Where are the people that know it's all born of intimacy that the world has changed? I mean, the Bible says everything that is to be known about God is is found in that which is created. In Romans 1 it says that. The invisible power, even his divine attributes, are clearly displayed in what has been made. Paul writes to the Romans. And so what is one of the attributes of God seen in the creation? It's this, so when there's intimacy there's fruitfulness. Whether it's pollen grains on the back of insects from plant to plant, whether it's sexual intimacy in marriage, God has put it in creation to show us that when you get close, multiplication happens. And I wish we'd learned this lesson. I wish I'd learned this lesson. More than, you see, some of us we pursue God almost to gain His approval rather than because we're in love with Him or to get close to him to get power for ministry, or to move in particular gifts. Where are the people that will just enjoy God? Because God is wonderful. Where are the people that are in love with God, really love God? The more I go on in life, the less impressed I am by people, the more impressed I am with intimacy. I'm not at all impressed with giftedness. I know people who've raised the dead. I know people who can read your mail prophetically. I know people who most people they pray for get healed. That does not impress me. I'm not impressed with prophetic words. I'm not impressed with insight. I'm impressed with people that are in love with God. I'm impressed with people that are in love with Jesus. When I find someone that's more in love with God than me, I want to be like them. I I want to find what burns in their heart to make them pursue the Lord. What's going on here? How do you do it? How do you get close to the Lord? How, how do you keep that rhythm going? I'm not interested in particular, where, how, how do you stay close? Because this is what we were made for, church. Like Abraham and Sarah, the church that's very unlikely to produce anything that will impact all the nations. Did you hear in the Abraham and Sarah story, God promised to impact all the nations. Can I say something to you? That some of you will laugh like Sarah in this moment. Cling, Cling to the pulpit here. Something's coming that will impact all the nations. You might say, well, this is, this is speaking of Jesus if we've been specifically accurate to the Bible text. It's through Christ the nations of the earth will be blessed. Of course it is. The Bible also speaks of, signs of refre- times of refreshing that will come from the Lord. And the reason why the nations were first impacted with the gospel of Jesus Christ is because the people sat at God's feet and waited for his power from on high. You shall receive power from on high and then you'll be my witnesses. The church seeks to achieve things for God, like Abraham and Ishmael. Just all right, God, I've got this. I know what I'm doing now. I've been doing this for 30, 40, 50 years. I know what I'm doing. Just chill. I've got it, Lord. We've got the Holy Ghost. I know the Bible. You know, I've, I've been around church, Lord. I could teach you a thing or two. It's almost like that, isn't it? This is why churches die. Because the Lord moves on and the church doesn't. God knows how to be creative and innovative for the generation that's in front of us and people tell God they know what they're doing. And the Lord's like, do you want to ask me what I think we should be doing for this generation? God, forgive us. Even though the church is in an Abraham and Sarah state, I want to say this over people who might not laugh at what I'm saying. You're never too old, and I felt the presence of God on this one when I was preparing. You're never too old to birth the move of God. Are you hearing me, church? Are you hearing me, church? I'm talking chronologically here for some of you. And I'm talking physically for those who feel tired and weary like Abraham's body, Sarah's body. It says in Hebrews and in Romans 4, Abraham's body was as good as dead. That's a pretty graphic illustration. But against what was natural, in hope he believed God and his faith was strengthened. And he grew in expectation As he heard God's promise and believed him. Let's read from God's word. Because the word I have for you is that if you missed it, God's power will be displayed in our weakness. This is what God's trying to teach us, you see, in this season. Paul says that, doesn't he? My... God told me that his power would be perfected in my weakness. It remains a heavenly principle. And out of this, the ashes of this COVID landscape will come the greatest move of God since the Wesleyan revivals. i say this before I read my reading. The Babel church has fallen. But the word of encouragement I have for you today is that the Isaac church Is born. Let me read the scriptures. Genesis 17, verses 15 to 21. God said to Abraham, As for your wife Sarai, you shall not call her Sarai, but call her Sarah, princess, shall be her name. I'll bless her. God's making a royalty. Did you see that? He repeats this phrase from verse 16 I'll bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she will become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed. Isn't that always our response or often our response to the Lord? When he says he wants to do something wonderful amongst his people, the people just say, well, you know what? I, I know what's possible, God. And I'm going to read on. He fell on his face and laughed and said, Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, the Ishmael might live before you. Verse 19, God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I've heard you. Behold, I've blessed him, and I'll make him fruitful. See, there's a measure of fruit on anything we do for God. And multiply him greatly. He shall father 12 princes, and I'll make him into a great nation. But I will... Establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. We're always trying to fix things for God. In our world, we've been conditioned, and this mindset's on the church to believe that we can have whatever we want. Isn't that the mindset of our generation? In the past, they would have saved for a car or a bed or a sofa. Nowadays, they get it on higher purchase or interest-free credit and. So the world has changed, but we're a different generation. We believe we can have it now. We can have what we want when we want it now. It's the instant generation. And this quest for instant gratification is endemic in all humans. That was right there in the beginning of the garden. Autonomy, you shall be as gods. It's fueled by the numerous distracting opportunities that tempt people each and every day. We're always wasting time on social media, some of us. We're pressing the snooze button rather than getting up when we plan to exercise or read the word. It's so much more comfortable to do that. We're eating junk food because it's accessible rather than working hard to eat well, don't mean to put guilt trips on you, but this is the the generation we're in. We're skipping that workout line on the sofa watching Netflix because it's easier. Instant pleasure is the pursuit of people, there's a psychological study area about this idea of instant gratification, because it's completely everyone's experience. We go for the easy things, we short circuit the process, we get to the place quickly, there's no hard work anymore for a lot of us. We don't work on the urgent tasks, we easily get distracted, we're spending time with box sets, we're spending money instead of saving money, we're taking loans to buy those fancy items. We're going to the discount sales because we think we're entitled to the next thing, even if we've got the previous thing. And as John said in his prophetic word, we're leaning on alcohol. Some are smoking, some are taking drugs for that dopamine hit from the brain chemicals that give us that which helps us to cope with the intensity of life. These ultimately can be summed up in one word, distraction. It's a distraction from the pain of now, and it's a distraction from what we should be doing to dig in and be disciplined people to be disciples. The church is distracted. It's got so busy with its programs pre-COVID that the voice of God to direct the church was muted like a YouTube video on pause. We've been exhausted by our business and we're on a fast track to build something incredible for God. That's where we were, wasn't it? Look, Lord, look what we can build for you. Do you like it, Lord? Do you like my tower? I'm a little Babel church, Lord. And the Lord's saying, well, I, you know, well done. Do you want to see what I can do now? Surely you want me to build something incredible, Lord, for you. I think we assume we know what he wants. We've read the book, haven't we? So we're convinced we know what he wants. And so we run on ahead without waiting for his timing on things. We're convinced that God should back every enterprise that the church does. Hey, Lord, join my mission. I've got a mission, God, it's a mission week. Join my mission. Do it this way, Lord. Turn up to this event. And also, join your mission. Why don't you join mine? I'm already at work. And if you're intimate with me, you'll make those responses at the bus stop or by the water cooler or in the gym. Nothing against being organised, nothing against mission weeks, nothing against anything that the church does to proclaim Jesus. But if that was the means to an end, we'd have won the world. Lord is asking us to be a different people in this generation coming out of COVID. He's asking us to be intimate. If you miss it, the whole essence of this message is a move from independence to dependence on God from independence to dependence on God. Some of us, we're we're so proud of what we can achieve for God that it's almost as if the Lord has to catch us up with our little busy schedule. Some of you, you'll feel worthless under the sound of my voice and don't feel like you can do anything for God. Hey, I want to say to you, you're in a good place. (laughs) That's a good place to be. For the Lord will use the donkeys of this world, no, no offence, to show his glory. He uses the weak things of this world to confound the wise so those who are strong would not be exalted. Isn't the Lord good, the people he chooses? Isn't he wonderful? You know, if you feel worthless and a little bit like you can't be used for God, I'm excited about your future if you'll just press in. I'm excited about your future. Abraham was assuming he knew how to sort it. Lord, that Ishmael might live before you. Church, not all of our prior fruitfulness, like Abraham's, was born of God and his guidance. Can I say that again, just in case you missed it? Abraham and Ishmael, as an example of fruitfulness by his own efforts, and God blessed Ishmael, and God blessed our efforts in the past, but not everything we produced was born of God. Not all of our fruitfulness was born of God and his guidance. God will bless what we do for him because he's good and he he, he knows we're trying to proclaim his son to the nations. God wants to produce stuff through us according to his plan, his pattern, his promise and it can only come from intimacy. I'm sure this is going in. Not all of our growth and development as a church was a sign of his blessing. There are some small churches in this world that are blessed of God. And he is very, very present amongst them. Our goal should not be big church in the season moving forward. I think the days of pursuing big church have gone. I don't mean churches won't be big, and I'm not against mega church. As I said last week, the, the model of the church is irrelevant. The way church is governed, as long as it retains a biblical framework, what's really important is, is God amongst the people. It doesn't matter if you're, some of you going to get offended with this, but I, I believe it to be true, for, based on the charismatic renewal. It doesn't matter if you're Catholic, Baptist, Methodist, Anglican, Pentecostal, free church. If God sees a heart that wants him and understands the cross and they devote themselves to the pursuit of his presence, it will always happen that those people will change the world. The problem is we are too distracted. Don't let the Netflix comments and the box sets and the this, that, and the other I mentioned just pass over you as kind of candy coated illustrations. We are all in that boat. We are I include myself with you. We are all too easily distracted. And the irony of that is the pleasure of God surpasses any human pleasure you've ever felt. And yet we, for a bowl of soup, again, thinking of the story of Isaac, Jacob and Esau, for a bowl of soup, we miss out on the best thing, of the full blessing of intimacy and relationship. There's a lot of orphan-hearted church folk who don't know what it's like to just be loved by the Father. A lot of church folk think they are employees rather than sons. I do this for God and God is pleased with me. Is the equation that we buy from the world. How about God loves you, whatever you do for him, and he just wants to be with you? As Rachel said the other week, the first cry in the garden was not, what have you done, where are you? A lot of christians they're just hiding from god because they think they're worthless and they failed him and they're rejectable and they can't be useful again because person x said this from the Bible: god just wants your heart we're in a season of tremendous grace by the way these are the days of the favor of the lord there will come a day when it's the day of vengeance of our god this is a day a year of the faith and you know you like it year and day this is the year of the favor of our lord I would say, if you've got guilt on your life, for past sin, recent sin, shake it off today. Do a Taylor Swift. Just as you do that? <laughs> shake it off. Shake it off. Come into his arms again. let him love on you. Let him love on you. Let him tell you he loves you. It's the best thing God can ever say to you. When was the last time you had a kiss from Daddy? He's good at cuddles. do you like giving you. If you had children, it's great hugging your kids, isn't it? Lewis is like me, he's, he's very tactile. Ella, I give her a kiss on the cheek before she gets to bed and she's ducking under the pillow. <laughs> it's very cute. Still love them. I say, I kiss you when you're asleep, Ella. You'll never escape from my love. <laughs> God wants his embrace over everything. We've tried to do things for God. I remember a story about a Chinese missionary that went to study the phenomena of Pentecostal and charismatic Christianity in America. Chinese missionary. And so he went out and he served in a big church, megachurch, the story I've been told. And then he came back to quite fiery village Chinese Christians who were full of the spirit. And they said, what did you learn from the church in America? Because so their mindset was humble and they thought they could learn from what was happening with these mega churches to impact the China region that they were in. And the missionary said to his beloved brothers and sisters, the one thing I learned is this, and of course they were eyes, ears, heart open, ready to receive this new learning. Chinese missionary said, it's amazing what people can achieve without the presence of the Holy Spirit. See that's the Babel church. That's the one. Nothing against it. But the shopping markets in the church mall. Helicopter rise for the pastor from site to site. I don't know. I don't want to criticize. I don't like criticizing. The patterns of the models. God wants our hearts and I believe even as it was at the start of the early church there's enough people in this room to change the world that's not sort of flippant rhetoric that's not thrown out as ooh well we'll receive that then because you said it." it it is a fact there's enough people in this room to change the world the whole world the whole world 120 in the upper room. We've got that at least over our sights after COVID. We have enough to change the world. The problem is we've got to shift our mindset, shift our mindset away from we know what to do to we know him. Because the Babel church says we know what to do. The Isaac church says we know him. Where are the ones, I've written, who will navigate this world with an ear to heaven? We've built such tall towers in church. We've produced our Ishmaels, but God was not seeking that form of fruitfulness. He was only seeking a yielded people for his plans. Scripture says these are the children of God, the ones that are led by the Holy Spirit. I... I, I will read something to you, and if it troubles you, um, please come and see me. I don't mean to pastorally trouble you, but this is a scripture that we can't avoid, and it's a warning to me, and I hope it's a helpful warning to you, because I've tried to get my heads around this by looking at commentaries and other things, and I can only think the clue is in the obvious. It tends to be that way with scripture. In Matthew 7, Jesus' teaching in the English Standard Version, and the title of this passage is, I Never Knew You. Therein, in the summary title, is the key to what it is to be a Christian. Verse 21 of Matthew 7 says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, and of course that Hebrew idea is Lord, it's like underline and bold, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father in heaven... Did you see the key is in the obvious? The expression of knowing him is operating in obedience. I desire obedience over sacrifice. In verse 22, it says, On that day, many will say to me, of course, this is the last day judgment, we assume. Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, and do many mighty wonders and works in your name? And then I'll declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Now, I've read that many, many times. And at the heart of that is the obvious that to be a child of God, these are the children of God, Paul says in Romans eight fourteen, those who are led by the Spirit of God. If anyone says they follow Christ, John says in his writings, they must be as Christ in this world. This is why the big church is shifting to value small church in this season. Because Jesus had large crowds, but amongst the large crowds, most people were there for the political bread messiah. The one that would feed them bread or do the signs and wonders. It became a bit of a show. He says, to the crowd I say this, but to you I say that. Jesus was trying to get authentic discipleship who would walk in the dust of their rabbi, get so close to him that they were smelling of him, looking like him, covered in the dust off his feet. I believe nothing has changed in what Jesus requires of followers. Jesus said to the rich young ruler, leave everything that you have, sell it to the poor, come follow me and you'll have treasure in heaven. He was radical. And he calls us not to value only the gathering, and I believe God is the God of the temple and the marketplace, but to value intimacy as the only thing from which anything you do for God comes out of. I hope as we roll through 2022, we somehow navigate as elders and leaders in this church how to strip back what we do. I I haven't got the solutions for that. Maybe if you've got better ideas that come of the Lord, just talk to me about it. Because I do not want to burden the people with more to do, but I do want to see the people weighted under his presence. I don't want to see people feeling guilt tripped because they've not been at meeting X, this meeting, that meeting. But I want to see a people that are healthy in God, and wherever they go, they're like Jesus in this world. You hear what I'm trying to aim for? We've been so busy, we've nearly killed our families. Pardon me. I was talking to someone I respect, I won't name them, um, one of our leaders, and they said when when they were younger, they had um, a meeting on Christmas Eve of of a house group in their house. Instead of, now, of course, we have the interesting Christmas moment where we've got carols by candlelight, but it was that the whole of church life took over that precious moment when the kids were small. And I just, I just wonder which God values more because he loves you regardless of what you do. So does he want us to be performing seal in church to show our devotion? Nothing against church service on Christmas Eve. I love Christingles and Carols by Candlelight. Or do we get our kids bitter towards God because parents are always doing church stuff? My son loves Jesus with all his heart. He's full of the Holy Ghost. He's seen the blind see, the deaf here, genuinely, with me on mission. He's prayed for people with bad backs. They've straightened up. The moment he's starting to articulate, Dad, you never stop working. He said it's always He went back to school after Christmas. He said it was church all the time. Church, church, church. Now, it's because he's got two people in the same house doing church, church, church. But as a leader, that's an alarm bell, isn't it? It's the same thing for you as your families. I value your 24-7. I, I, I don't know if she does it anymore. I like the fact that Evie does paddle boarding, whatever it is. Whatever she does. I don't know what she does anymore. I value it when I hear people in brass bands. Why? Because Jesus came to give us abundant life. He never came to make us slaves of an enterprise. The one thing that really matters is that we carry him wherever we go. So that when we gather, we're fueled up to go out. The church are the sent ones. The ecclesia, the people called out to have an impact outwardly in the world. And I'm being honest with you. I want to make the church less busy so that it can be more fruitful. But let's do that journey together because I don't know how to do that particularly when it's multi-site, three churches. Everyone's got a new fresh idea for theirs. Come and join, come and help this church, come and help that. And we run ragged. The The world is not attracted to people who look exhausted. The world is attracted to people that are intimate with the Lord. Because then you have something that they don't have. Are you still with me, folks? I'm going to bring this to a close for the sake of time but I just want to show you one more thing before I do. You see, Babel reached up, but Isaac dug down. Genesis 26 says, Isaac reopened the wells that had been dug in the time of his father Abraham, which the Philistines had stopped after Abraham had died, and he gave them the same names his father had given them. Isaac's servants dug in the valley and discovered a well of fresh water there. But the herders of Gerar quarrelled with those of Isaac and said, This water is ours. So he named the well Esek, because they disputed with him. Then they dug another well, but they quarrelled over that one also, so he named it Sitna. He moved on from there and dug another well, and no one quarrelled over it. He named it Rehoboth, saying, Now the Lord has given us room. And we will flourish in the land. Rehoboth means open space. From there he went on to Beersheba. That night the Lord appeared to him and said, I am the God of your father, Abraham. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bless you, will increase the number of your descendants for the sake of my servant Abraham. Isaac built an altar there and called on the name of the Lord. There he pitched his tent, and there his servants dug a well. The Lord said this to me, and see if you can understand what I'm trying to say. The Lord said, I want you to pitch a tent in the valley. And then I found this in the text. Before I'd read this, the Lord said, I want you to pitch a tent in the valley. I, I believe the church is still in a valley. COVID, we've not shaken this off. There's all sorts of challenges going on. There are many things I've seen in the spirit over the next 10 years that will come. Revived church will not be a comfortable place and the enemy will not avoid resisting it. I also believe socio-politically, there will be turbulence ongoingly. I could go into specific details, but I've asked the Lord and I've not had release to share the things I've seen in the spirit. But one thing I do know is that this is a crossing over year into a new dawn. I believe 2023 will be a different feel to where we've been the last however many years. God showed me that in June of 2020. God is wanting the church to pitch a tent in the valley of this COVID landscape and to dig down rather than build up. Are you hearing the illustration? To pursue the water of his presence so that we might water the ground around us. And I close with this reading. Genesis 2, 6 speaks of a time when God had not ra- sent rain on the earth. Often we are trying to seek the Lord to send rain on a dry land spiritually. The Lord would have the church learn this message because we're returning to the garden where everything was lost right at the beginning. See, intimacy was always God's design in the original creation in the garden. In God's best design, it's effortless to be his follower. Did you see that? Everything was at hand, but the church has thought by its own effort it could create. God wants us to return to the garden model, and let me explain that through this Read it. Genesis 2, 4-6 says, This is the account of the heavens and the earth. They were created when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Verse 5, Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up, Here's the key, for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth and there was no one to work the ground, but streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. It was here that the Lord planted a garden, no rain necessary, because streams came up from the earth. That's how the plants were irrigated. Sometimes we are asking the Lord to send rain on the parched land around us, but the outpourings that come fall on dry land, soak in and evaporate. There's momentary change, not lasting landscape improvement. I believe the church moving forward, and this is prophetic, I believe the church moving forward, the revived church will have a different water source. It won't say rain down, it'll have water bubbling up from within it. Water came up from the ground and watered the whole surface of the ground around it. I believe this is a key, to what God's going to do in the next years of our life as we move towards a revived church. The revived church will have a different water source. It will flow up from within them, and they will water the ground wherever they go, in workplaces, in schools, in towns, in shops, in clubs. The Lord will cause the rivers of living water to flow from in the church, making everything fruitful around them. We've spoke on the river, and there's no time to teach on it, but the church that is revived will have the river flowing from within itself and out into the world. We have the song, Speak the Name of Jesus. I'm just going to pray. And I just want you to reach out to the Lord. We'll do that right at the end, after this song. As we speak the name of Jesus, and let's just put away self-exaltation, wherever that looks like, And let's try and lift the name of Jesus up in this year in 2022 as we cross over. And let's work towards being a prayerful church. Prayer's the key this year. It's always been the key. But we need to think about real strategy with that. How can we do that, give room to that as a church, so that Jesus will be lifted up not us? Amen.